Okay, repeat after me. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. Right, right. Anybody can fall in love, right? We sometimes treat love like it's a noun, like you fall into a swimming pool or you fall out of a high chair. Uh, but there's much more to love than that. And what we're talking, that's what we're talking about as we continue our series today called Staying in Love. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. Um, it's page 819 in this Bible. Philippians 2 is where we're going to spend all morning this morning. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, or you don't have one at home, please take this one with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to be able to read God's Word. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, I know it was Memorial Day weekend, it was race day. Uh, if you weren't with us, let me just catch you up. We opened this series with a video from Andy Stanley at North Point Church. They're the ones that kind of originated this series, developed this series. He opened with a question that kind of was rooted in the movie Juno. Uh, he called it the Juno Dilemma. And uh, the question is one that many of us may have, and especially if you've not found your relationships, your love relationships specifically to work right, or maybe you grew up in a home with divorced parents, or uh, all of your exposure to love relationships has always been kind of short-term, it's probably a question that many of you have wrestled with, and it's this. Is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? Is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? And I think for most of us, we would say, yes, it's possible. That even if we haven't seen it modeled for us, or if we did grow up in a broken home, or even if we haven't seen it work for us in our lives, there's something inside you and there's something inside of me that still makes us believe that, yes, it's possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever. That even if a, a study, a scientific study came out and definitively proved that it is not possible for two people to stay in love for their entire lives, there's something in us that would still say, no, I do think it's possible. And if I spent all of today up here on this stage trying to convince you that there's no way that you could fall in love and stay in love with the same person for the rest of your life, you'd probably leave here saying, you know what, I don't think he's right. There's something in you, there's something in me that makes us believe it's possible to stay in love forever. And we've said that that's the imprint of God in us. That God designed us to stay in love, and so this is something that he put in us to make us believe that it's possible for two people to stay in love forever. And last week, uh, Andy said, if you want to stay in love forever, you've got to make love a what? Verb. verb. Make love a verb. Good. I was afraid somebody was going to say a lot. You've got to make love a lot. No. You've got to make love a verb. He pointed to Jesus in a, in a time when Jesus pulled his followers aside and he said, uh, a new command I give you. And at that, you know, they probably all gathered around and said, shh, shh the rabbi has something to say. Jesus is going to tell us something and it's new, something new he's got for us. And then he says, uh, you know, they're like, quick, does anybody have a pen? Can we write this down? And then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. What? That's not new, right? That's what Jesus always talked about. But then he went on and he said, as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. In other words, Jesus wanted to remind them and remind us at the same time that when it comes to love, all kinds of love, okay, when it comes to all kinds of love, but especially uh, romantic love, especially our key relationships, especially um, any 30-somethings in the, in the room, if you're 30-something, raise your hand. I'm talking about your top eight on MySpace, right? You remember that? No? I was the only MySpace person in the room. I don't believe it. We're talking about your key relationships, and especially your key one love relationship. 
um, that we shouldn't take our cues from our parents, even though our parents might have been really good about this. We shouldn't take our cues from our friends, even if we have friends that have been married for a long time. And we sure shouldn't take our cues from culture, from uh, movies or music or TV. They, they have all kinds of wrong ideas about how love should work and how to stay in love. And what Jesus says, if you want to stay in love, not just stay together now, okay, because anybody can stay together, right? You can make a decision that we're going to stay together for the kids or we're going to stay together because it's just too hard to date. I don't want to start dating again, so it's easier if I just stay in this relationship. It's, we, can, we can stay together because it makes good financial sense. It's going to be hard on me financially, if we end this, so let's just stay together. But Jesus says, if you want to stay in love, that's the key. If you want to stay in love, then go learn the way that I loved you and go emulate that. That's how it's done. And so today, as we continue that thought, we're going to continue this theme and look specifically at a passage of Scripture that reminds us how Christ loved us. Now, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So how did Jesus love us. It's, it's passages written by a guy named Paul. Paul came along a few years after Jesus. We sometimes call him the Apostle Paul. And uh, if you were here last week, you already know this passage because we gave it to you a week in advance. Uh, we gave you a card that had the, the passage on it. It had some scripture or some questions on the back. It had scripture on the front, questions on the back. And we said, be reading it every day and to answer those questions on the back about how it could impact your relationships. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, if you did that, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, but I hope some of you, I hope many of you, uh, took the time to read that passage at least a few times and answer those questions, because now you've already got a head start on the rest of us. So let's start in Philippians 2. Uh, we're going to go Philippians 2, verse 3. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. What should we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Nothing. We should do nothing. That word means no thing. There's not a thing we should do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And again, I think with this whole passage, we can apply this to all of our relationships. But I want to look at it specifically in the context of marriage relationships, of love, romantic relationships. So in our love relationships, in our romantic relationships, we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, your marriage shouldn't be a competition. You know, in everything you do, you don't compete with one another. You don't do anything in your relationships, but especially your one love relationship, you don't do anything to try to put yourself above your spouse, above your fiance, above your boyfriend or girlfriend. Now, what does this mean practically? Well, you don't, you don't correct her every time she's telling a story and she gets one of the details wrong, right? No, no, honey, it was, it was Thanksgiving, not Christmas. No, no, it was the red dress, remember? Not the pink one. No, it wasn't pretty in pink. It was 16 candles, remember? You don't, you don't correct the details. You let her tell the story wrong. Why? Because anytime you correct somebody in that, you're probably, at least subconsciously, you're trying to make yourself look better. Right? It's, it's out of vain conceit. It also means you don't put down your husband when you're meeting with your girlfriends. Well, you think that's bad. You should see what Bill does on Saturday mornings. Nothing. Right? You, you know what he got me for my anniversary? A vacuum cleaner. What's he trying to tell me? He gets me a vacuum cleaner. Well, he's probably trying to tell you your floors are dirty. I don't know. I mean... But we don't do that. We, we, don't, we, we really need to keep that stuff to ourselves. Why? Because when you do this, you're probably doing it out of vain conceit. It makes you look better because of what you have to put up with. And from that moment on, all your girlfriends look cross-eyed at your husband every time they see him because they can't believe what you have to put up with, right? Because what a punk you've made him out to be. So we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And all of staying in love means we cooperate with one another, not compete. 
And then Paul goes on, still verse 3. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Now, Paul, again, he's saying this. We need to do this in all relationships, but how much more should we be doing this in our marriage? You know, this gives us uh, the first of what I think are three things that if we're going to remodel our marriages... We want to model our marriage after what uh, the Bible says that love is, that true love is. This gives us the first of three things. And uh, we didn't write blanks on your note cards today, but if you want to write these down, you can write these things down. Um, Three steps we can take based on this passage. The first one is to treat your spouse like they're more important than you. Treat your spouse like they're more important than you. Every interaction, every day, act like she's more important than you are. Every discussion, every disagreement, you act like he's more important than you are. Every single decision, every time you treat your spouse like they are more important than you are. Have you ever been to a place where you're in the room with someone who's more important than you are? You have. I tell you, now I'm not talking about like they're inherently more important, like God values them more. But I'm talking about in that moment, on that occasion, someone's more important to you. So maybe you've been to an award ceremony of some sort where uh, someone was being honored for some achievement, some accomplishment, maybe some hero that did something great. And at the end of the night when his name was called or her name was called, uh, they stood up and everybody stood and applauded, right? And they gave them a big standing ovation. And even people who didn't necessarily like that person very much still stood and applauded for them because why? They were the most important person in the room at the time. Or maybe it was an author at a book signing or a singer at a concert. And it doesn't matter who you run into at a concert. You see a friend that you haven't seen in 10 years and you run into them and you start talking, but as soon as the singer takes the stage, all the eyes go to the stage, right? And all the ears go to the stage. You're watching, you're listening to what's happening on that stage. Why? Because at that moment, the singer is the most important person in the room. Last Saturday, I went to a wedding and uh, our family drove six hours uh, in the morning to get to this wedding and we saw relatives there that we hadn't seen in a year or more And, you know, when I walked into the room, not a single person stood up. I was a little bit underwhelmed at the response I got, quite honestly. I mean, I drove six hours to get there, and I walk into the room, and I saw my aunt for the first time in a year, and she walked up to me, and she goes, I am just dying for a mint or some gum. Do you have anything? And that's the first thing she said to me. I'm like, I drove six hours for this. But you know what? Ten minutes later, when the bride walked into the room, everybody in the whole room stood up and looked at the bride. Why? Because at that moment, she's the most important person in the room. You know, people stand up. They gasped. Everybody was in awe of how beautiful she was because she's the most important in the room. And when you see someone as important, you view them with a sense of awe, don't you? You, you look at it. If you're married now or if you've been married before, this probably happened when you first met your spouse. There was a sense of awe every time you saw her, right? Awe. Every time you saw that person, you're like, ah. Every time you saw him, you're like, ah. Oh, isn't that cute? Listen, listen, listen to him snore. Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> or the first time you see her face in the morning without makeup, it's like, oh, you're so cute. But then what happens? Well, some time passes and you start to lose that sense of awe. And the snoring becomes annoying. And the morning face is scary. I'm not talking personally, okay? I'm not talking about my family, but maybe in yours. And we start to think, what happened to that sense of awe I used to have? And then some of us start to make that connection, and we think, here's what we think, because this gets dangerous. We think, oh, that sense of awe happened when I was with someone new, so maybe the right answer is to go be with someone new again, and that sense of awe will come back. See, in the beginning, there's so much emotion and there's so much passion and there's this sense of awe just comes naturally. But here's the difference. People who stay in love have learned to do that intentionally. 
They've learned to be intentional about bringing that sense of awe. They're, they're, they're not faking it. They're not manufacturing a sense of awe. They're genuinely always looking for something in their spouse that they've never seen before, something new to be in awe of. They genuinely, genuinely believe and act like their spouse is the most important person. They're more important than who they are. All right, verse 4. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So here's the second thing we can do to remodel our marriage. It's this. It's to express interest in the things that interest them. We express interest in the things that interest our spouse. Now, this is a really hard one. And here's why. Because honestly, I am most interested in the things that are interesting to me. You should write that down probably. I'm most interested in the things that are interesting to me. You're most interested in the things that interest you. And so the things that interest other people aren't all that interesting to you because if they did, they would be your interests, right? But they're not. They're somebody else's interests. So they're not really that interesting to you. Uh, but it, and that what's, that's what makes this so hard. I'm sure it's the same with you. It's probably the same with my wife. But still, we have learned, my wife and I have learned to take an interest in the things that interest the other person. I'll just give you an example. My wife uh, really doesn't have an interest in running, but I love to run. And so I love to run races. I love to travel to run. And, and for years, my wife has humored me by going, traveling to places where my race was the center of our vacation, of our travel. Uh, we went to Wisconsin one year because I wanted to run a race in Madison, and we tried to make it fun for the whole family. But then when, in exchange, what I like to do, if she's going to sacrifice that and go to a race with me, then I will sacrifice by making the rest of the vacation fun for the rest of the family. Uh, on weekends, especially on Fridays, my, uh, Friday is my day off here at the church, and um, my wife, what we'll find us doing is sometimes debating over what we should do on a Friday, but it's always kind of like this. I'll suggest a garden shop or a nursery because I know that's where she wants to go, and she'll suggest that we go to Half Price Books because she knows that's where I want to go. Um, we've learned to take an interest in the things that interest the other. Now, at the same time, while you're interested in the things that interest the other, you need to be concerned about the things that concern the other. You know, do you know what's concerning your spouse right now? Do you know what's weighing on his heart or her heart? Uh, do you know, do those things drive you to have compassion for your spouse? Or do you often think, I just don't see what the big deal is. This doesn't seem like a big deal to me. And so the decision you've got to make is, are you going to look to the interests of others or are you going to look only at our own interests? And if you do decide, I'm going to look at the interests of others, you've got another decision to make. Am I going to tolerate that hobby or am I going to kind of move in that direction? Am I going to tolerate that interest or am I going to move towards them? Now, you know how to do this. I know you do because when you first met that special someone, uh, you pretended to be interested in whatever they were interested in, Right? Oh, running. Oh, I love running. Oh, uh, you call up your friend. Hey, do you have a pair of running shoes I can borrow? Uh, because I haven't run in years. You know, uh, oh, I love football. It's my favorite sport. Okay, which one's that again? Is that the, the round ball or the, you know? Uh, yeah, I love the theater. You mean movies, right? No, oh, opera? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love the opera. People who stay in love are the people who learn to put the interests of the other ahead of their own interests. And by the way, uh, maybe you're in a place where... Um, it's kind of been the way it's been for a long time. Like, this is how our marriage is, and I really don't want to, I'm not even thinking about really making any of these changes because this is just the way it's going to be, and we're going to be this way for the rest of our lives. Um, and I'm not really sure how to change it. We've got something coming up uh, starting next Sunday, actually, called the Marriage Course uh, that my wife and I have been through, and many of us uh, here at Genesis have been through. It's hosted by Jim and Susan Goldman in their home in Westfield. It's on Sunday nights this time. 
And uh, I know several couples in the room have been through the marriage course. It's uh, put on by a church in England uh, called Holy Trinity Brompton, which is a fantastic church, a fantastic curriculum. And Jim and Susan do just a great job of hosting this in their home. And the cool thing about the marriage course uh, that was great for us and great for many of us that have gone through it is it's not like this big group setting where you got to share all your marriage junk with everybody that's there. Uh, you, they, they set aside places where you get to just work it out with your spouse. You just get to talk these things out with your spouse. So there's like a video teaching curriculum, and then there's uh, you and your spouse, and you get together, and you guys talk about this stuff, and nobody else has to hear about your junk. And so I love that. But the thing about the marriage course is because it's in someone's home, we have a limited number of spaces. I think we've only got like eight couples left. And so if you want to sign up for this, there's information on the Genesis Church app, or you can go to the uh, What's Happening page at genesischurch.me, and you can find the marriage course. It starts next Sunday night, and I highly recommend it uh, if you need an overhaul or even just a tune-up in your marriage. Now, these, things that, these two things that we've talked about so far, uh, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, all this stuff works. All right, it can work for you. If you decide to, put the, your, your, to treat your spouse like they're more important than you, your marriage is going to be better whether you're a Christian or not. If you decide to uh, take an interest in the things that interest them, uh, your marriage is going to be better whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, but even if you don't know what to believe about God or about the Bible or about Jesus, everything we've talked about will help your marriage be better. But at this point, we're going to go two different ways. All right, because uh, as Christians, we've got one more thing to gain from this. Because Paul's going to go on and tell us that this stuff that he's instructing us to do, that our Savior Jesus did the same thing for us. And so he goes on in verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, and again, we're thinking about that one one another here, but in, our, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, okay, he was in nature, he was God. Down to the molecules of his being, he was God. He was always God. He was God before he came to earth. He was God on earth. He's God now. Jesus, in his nature, he was God. He never once stopped being God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus, who was fully God when he walked on the earth, never once used that fact to his advantage. He, he never once played the God card. He didn't do it to help him get a better seats at a restaurant. He didn't do it to help him overcome temptation and not even to escape those who wanted to kill him. So he was God in every way in his very nature. But verse 7 says, rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Jesus, when he came to earth, he left a perfect heaven and came to earth and he made himself nothing. Now, some translations will use the word uh, he emptied himself. That he emptied him, Jesus emptied himself. And um, sometimes in culture, when we think about somebody who's a little too interested, we'll say they're so full of themselves, right? But Jesus emptied himself. He, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Look at this parallelism here. He, by very nature, he was God, but he took on, when he came to earth, he took on the nature of a servant. He chose willingly to become a servant being made in human likeness and found an appearance in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, how did he humble himself? Did he come home from work on time for dinner? Nope, there's more than that. Did he help put the kids to bed every once in a while? No, nope. Jesus didn't have any kids. It's more than that. Did he listen to her same stories over and over and over and over again? No, nope. there's more than that. 
Did he finally fix that thing around the house she's been nagging him about since last fall? Nope, it's more than that. He humbled himself, look at this, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Son of God, Jesus, the man who was in very nature God, he decided to submit himself to whom? To you and to me. He he took on the nature of a servant. He was our servant. He took on the nature of our servant and took on the death that we deserve so that you and I could have eternal life with God. The creator submitted himself to his creation. And he didn't have to do this. Jesus had every right not to submit himself. He was in very nature God. So why did he decide to give up his rights and submit himself to us? Because he valued his relationship with us more than he valued his own rights. And that example gives us the third way we can remodel our marriage, and it's this. Put your relationship ahead of your rights. Put your relationship ahead of your rights. But, but won't he take advantage of me if I submit? Maybe. But, but if all I do is submit, that might not come back around my way. No, nope, maybe it won't. But nowhere in this passage does it say what your spouse should do. It only says what you should do. Right? There's nowhere in this example from Philippians that tells you what will happen if you do this. There's just the simple command from God's word to submit. Now, you don't have to do this. You don't ever have to decide to submit yourself to your spouse. And I'm not, just, I'm not talking just to women here. I'm talking to men and women. Submit ourselves to one another. You can... You can keep trying to preserve your rights in marriage, and maybe you've done that, and what you ended up with was a contract. You you ended up with a roommate. You ended up with a relationship where you were always right and never happy. But Jesus was the Son of God who submitted himself to you on your behalf. And if you want to stay in love, Paul says, that's the model we need to follow. I want to close with uh, this story that Andy Stanley told when he preached a similar message at North Point. Um, It's just a couple minutes long. I want you to see this, and then uh, we'll put the finishing touches on this message. The other day, um, Sandra and I were um, leaving the ball field. Our our two sons play baseball, so we're at baseball fields all the time. And we're heading back to the car. And there's a lady talking to her husband. I I didn't know her, but I knew him. And I'd never met his wife, but I discovered this was his wife. And she's headed toward the parking lot. He's headed back toward the ball field. And she is giving him instructions as he goes, okay? And get the chairs. And don't forget to get all the three chairs. And get the bags and make sure the chairs. And, you know, there. And it's like, as she's over her shoulder, she's, and don't forget. And then there was something I don't even, didn't even understand about. He did it wrong last time. And make sure you do whatever that was right this time. And then they separated. And then she turned and walked to the parking lot. And Sandra and I, I didn't even know Sandra was paying attention to this. And we didn't say anything. We got in the car. And she turned to me. She said, I can't imagine ever talking to you like that in public. I said, if you did, I would travel all the time. (laughs) I would take every speaking engagement. I would do, I would just, I just, as I listened to her 
talk to her husband that way in public, it just made my soul just quiver, you know? And the interesting thing is this, listen, everything she said was right. He needed to get the chairs. He needed to put them in the bag. He needed not to forget to do whatever thing he forgot last time. Absolutely right. And if I were to talk to her, she could probably explain, well, the reason I had to tell him is the last three times he left the chairs at the ballpark and we had to buy them. I mean, and you know, if I heard her sad story, I'd go, well, everything makes sense. It all seems appropriate. Way to go. But what an awful marriage it sounded like to me. I wouldn't want to go home with her. <laughs> I don't think he did. Now, again, I, now let's just, let's just, here's what I want you to hear, because you can kind of spin this off in a hundred different directions. I don't know the whole story. This is what I do know. Somewhere along the line, she's learned and feels it's appropriate to be disrespectful of her husband in public, even though all the details are correct. You can't have it both ways. Now, listen to me. You can spend the rest of your life being right. You can spend the rest of your life making a point. You can spend the rest of your life winning all the arguments. You can spend the rest of your life getting him in shape or getting her in shape. But you will not be in love at the end of the process. And you will support your, you know, your angle and you'll support your approach and, and you'll sit down with a counselor and you'll be absolutely right every single time and you still will have lost that thing that you cherish and want the most. You know, Jesus didn't come to be right all the time. He could have he could, he come and been right 100% of the time. And he could have pointed out to you, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're a sinner. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to talk to you. Just listen to me. Do it this way. But that's not what he came for. He didn't come to be right. He didn't come to, to make a point. He came to have a relationship with us. Jesus came to submit to us. And Jesus, if you're a Christian... Jesus is the model for our lives. And the best relationships, the best love relationships especially, are the ones where you see two people who are constantly submitting to one another. They're the people that are saying, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, let's do what you want to do. No, I want to do what you want to do. When we decide the other person is more important, when we take an interest in the things that interest them, and when we sacrifice our rights for the sake of the relationship, I promise there is a way to get the chairs home from the ball field every single time. What would it look like today if you decided to make your attitude the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, and being found and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What would change in your marriage? If you're not married, what would change in your love relationship? What would change in your life? Many of you have tried everything else. Isn't it worth a shot? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that your son Jesus came to earth to humble himself and to submit and to give up his rights so that we could have a relationship with you. God, it's changed my life. I know it's changed the life of many of us in this room that you made yourself a servant 
that you humbled yourself and made yourself nothing so that we could have that relationship. Lord, help us to do that in our own relationships. I thank you so much that even though I deserve to pay the price for my sin, you paid that price for me through Jesus. We celebrate that today in Jesus' name.